Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Jane Adams Resource Corporation provides free manufacturing training in welding, computerized machining, and mechanical assembly. Each training program is integrated with support services, including financial literacy, employment coaching, and job placement assistance. Training is available in the Ravenswood, Austin, and Chatham neighborhoods of Chicago. All training sites are currently enrolling new applicants. Visit jane-adams.org to sign up for an application to learn more about how to start your new career today. That's jane-adams-a-d-d-a-m-s.org. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. That's not correct. Oh my God, it is not correct. (laughs) It is Tuesday. Uh, it always feels like Monday. You're going to have to edit that out, D. Going to have to edit that out. No kidding. You need to know we're flawless. No okay. mistakes in the Ben Jarofsky show, okay? Let me, let me write that down. Okay. Very beginning. <laughs> we messed up. Okay. Man, he hadn't edited anything out in two years. Except for his mistakes. Oh, you better believe he edits those out. Mine, he just... Oh, let's get the volume a little higher. Well, I took out that one time you uh, were talking about that Trump shirt you bought. Remember? Oh, <laughs> you stole my Trump shirt line, you little devil, your, you. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, February 1st, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, it's true, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory. SKY. It is Tuesday, February 1st, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, rumor has it, he's rooting for the Bengals. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trouble in Paradise Tuesday, and here's why. First of all, let me just deal with that libelous rumor that began this show. No, I am not rooting for the Bengals. I can't stand either team. I don't know who I'm going to root for in the Super Bowl, but I did spend. I, my guy was Mahomes. All right. So before I get to the issues of the day and introduce my guests and tell you what the trouble in paradise is, I must deal with this. My guy was Mahomes. Why do you ask D? Was I rooting for Mahomes? That's a great question. Really quick on your toes. I like the follow up. The reason I was rooting for Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, because I wanted Bear fans to be reminded how dumb their team was. I love the Bears. My beloved Chicago Bears been rooting for the 66. But Bears fans, you're in denial. You're in denial about the Bears. You're always in denial about the Bears. They change coach. It's so weird. I, I addressed this in a newsletter, D. 
They fired a coach named Matt and hired a coach named Matt. They fired a GM named Ryan. They hired a GM named Ryan. The Bears are just like a weird team. No matter what they do, there's like this element of weirdness to it. So you had the greatest quarterback probably the last 20 years versus a really mediocre quarterback, and they took they took the mediocre quarterback, Trubisky, over Mahomes. So that's why I was rooting for Mahomes. But he looked like Mitch Trubisky in the fourth quarter there, and I'm just saying – so his team lost, so I don't know who I'm going to root for. My beloved Bears aren't it. All right, let's get back to business. Trouble in paradise. Before I bring on my distinguished guest, this one caught my eye. The New York Times wrote a story today. As Trump reemerges, base shows cracks. And I, I tell you what, I've been saying this all, a long time for like, I don't know how many years now. Uh, uh, MAGA controls the Republican Party and Trump controls MAGA. Uh, and uh, they love him. And now it turns out that polls are starting to show that MAGAites are kind of shifting for Trump. It's really curious shifts going on in the Republican Party. And as, as a whole, like I would say a majority of the Republican Party is now trying to distance itself from Donald John Trump. That even his, his behavior has shamed even Republicans. Just think about that. How disgraceful he must be behaving if even Republicans are ashamed of him. Or maybe they think they can't win. Maybe the Republicans are like turning strategists. We're seeing this in the gubernatorial race here in Illinois. Everybody is trying to be like a strategist. They want to exercise their inner Rahm Emanuel and their inner David Axelrod and try to figure out, like, what chemicals do you have to mix and how do you have to mix them in order to win an election? And how do you keep the coveted suburban swing voters from suburban Milwaukee in line or suburban Chicago in line? You know, that's what they're always trying to figure and so maybe Republicans are so, hmm, maybe Trump's not good for the brand. We have to distance ourselves from him. So anyway, meanwhile, MAGA, who is the core of the Republican Party, the base of the Republican Party, it is the strongest, like, single piece of the Republican Party. You cannot win an election in a state like Illinois unless MAGA falls in line 100% behind your candidate. They're still loyal to Trump. And as evidence... Uh, I will now read you a quote from today's New York Times, delivered home delivered as always, uh, from regarding Donald Trump's rally at Saturday in Texas. What a piece of work that was. Anyway, here's the go. Uh, I'm, I'm reading for the New York Times. Jennifer Wintbauer, who has We the People tattooed on her forearm, forearm, got to the Trump rally her sixth days in advance, sleeping in her truck to be among the first in line. Let's just pause to think about that, ladies and gentlemen. This is her sixth Trump rally. She's gone to six Trump rallies, and she got there days in advance because she wanted to make sure, obviously, that she got a good place. I don't know. Maybe she just wanted to hang out with other MAGAites, and she slept in her trunk truck. That's how dedicated she was. She said she still believed Mr. Trump was, quote, sent by God to save this country, end of quote. Still... She disagreed with him on the vaccine. Quote, I don't think he should be promoting it at all, she said. I've had COVID and I've had the flu, and the flu is much worse. She's very lucky, D, if her flu is worse than her COVID. That's all I'm going to say. I wouldn't want to get either one, the flu or the COVID. That's why you get shots for both. But if your flu is worse than your COVID, chances are you're not uh, in the ICU. So good for her. I'm very happy for her that her flu is uh, worse than her COVID. Very bizarre. But this is where Trump's at right now. He wants to promote the vaccine. He wants credit for the vaccine. He wants to take credit for the fact that if we eradicate COVID in uh, with the next year or so, it'll be because he, quote unquote, uh, created the vaccine, funded the creation of the vaccine. 
And yet MAGA, which is his base, still doesn't want to believe that the pandemic is real, still doesn't want to believe that the vaccine is real, still doesn't want to believe that you need the vaccine to conquer to, to COVID. And so they boo him when he mentions the vaccine. So he's really, he's in a t- difficult position. I don't feel sorry for him one bit, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm watching this. I'm watching this, how it's going to play out. Ron DeSantis down in Florida. He's figured out a way to do this. He's, his attitude about the vaccine is like, yeah, if you want to take it, you don't want it, don't take it. I'm not going to mandate it. In fact, I'm going to mandate mandates that don't mandate it, if that makes sense. Anyway, trouble in paradise. Republican Party, a little split there. That's good news for civilization. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest, a distinguished lawyer who's been on my show once before. I want to thank you very much, Joshua Tepfer. Thanks again for stopping by. I appreciate it, Joshua. Thanks for having me. And just so you know, I also slept in my truck until you would have me on a second time. So (laughs) (laughs) He's got a subtle sense of humor, Joshua Teffer. Joshua Teffer has never been known to sleep in a truck waiting for six days, waiting to see Donald Trump. Uh, I don't believe he's ever waited to see Donald Trump at all. All right, let's get serious. Uh, This is a very serious topic. Uh, Joshua is an attorney here in Chicago who is battling uh, for uh, people who've been wrongfully convicted of crimes that they never committed, hence the wrongfully convicted, uh, because uh, they were arrested by a crooked cop. And uh, Joshua, I think it was about a month or so or two months ago, you were on the show, and a lot of listeners uh, really appreciated uh, that show. And so I was meant to bring you back just for an update and then uh, I saw that, or you told me yesterday that there would be an update, that uh, there was going to be a press conference with you and uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox. So why don't you start with just some of the basics if folks have missed that first interview, uh, Joshua, about uh, Ronald Watts and uh, the uh, people who were wrongfully convicted. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so the last five or six years, much of my time has been spent um examining or auditing or going back and finding all of these wrongful convictions that can be tied to a convicted felon named former Chicago Police Sergeant named Ronald Watts, who for about a decade, him and his team were preying on um, residents of Ida B. Wells, all African-American residents and their families, committing all sorts of unconstitutional violations um, in the words of whistleblowing police officers, he was running his own drug line. And then essentially what I've been unpacking is he was framing, putting drugs on people, causing wrongful convictions of anyone who would get in his way. So um, we have now, after he was imprisoned and convicted by the feds in 2013, uh, we've started to go back and um, People have contacted us and filing cases in court, cooperating with the state's attorney's office. And after this morning, we now have undone 134 drug convictions and one gun conviction in the last uh, five, six years. So that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 years in prison or sentences. Um, it's over 110 people. Some of them have multiple convictions. And 
we're fighting for more. We're back in court next week, and then the week after, and we expect more wrongful convictions to be remedied on those days. And, and we expect it because Kim Fox announced that today. She said we should expect, uh, you know, there were 20 today. She said there should be another over 30, 34 that they're going to agree to in the next two weeks. So. So uh, Kim Fox, uh, Cook County State's attorney, says that she's going to agree to uh, uh, what is, what's the correct legal term? Throw out these wrongful convictions, uh, exonerate uh, the people who have been wrongly wrongfully convicted. Is there any resistance anywhere, uh, Joshua, to throwing out these convictions? Are there people who come forth to say no? Uh, actually, the Ronald Watts was this was this this one was a legitimate uh, arrest or this one was uh, a legitimate case. Is there anybody who is uh, stepping forward uh, to challenge uh, you and uh, Kim Fox on this on these issues? You know, it's, I don't really think about that. There's not too many people who fight on this one. You know, in my line of work, you you may know Marty Preeb and people on those lines. You know, they call what I do. You know. Uh, circus or made up the wrongful conviction fabrication whatever term they use now marty and his team they don't speak up about the, this one too much no one's really defending ronald watts um what i will say is you know the city however you know defends him in all the civil rights lawsuits and they have fought us to you know and so they you know, they don't say anything publicly you know Lori lightfoot has said the exact opposite when she was candidate lightfoot you know they say all the right things that this was a corrupt group of cop, but if you dig a little bit deeper, they also defend them in this case uh, at taxpayer expense upwards of multi, multi, multi millions of dollars over the last several years. Now, when you say uh, civil rights lawsuits, what exactly are you talking about? Sure. So after, uh, for all the individuals who had their convictions thrown out, as you might, if you spent time in prison, almost all of them, if not all of them, I think all of them have filed lawsuits against Ronald Watts, against the officers who fabricated the police reports, committed perjury in court, who backed Watts, and then the city of Chicago um, for causing their wrongful conviction and, and false imprisonment. Um, you know, we can't give them their time back. The only thing the law can do is compensate them for what they lost, which was quite a bit. Um, but all of those people I mentioned, whether it's Ronald Watts, whether it's the other guy who went to prison with him, a guy named Kalat Muhammad, or any of the other officers who are still on the force to this day in the city of Chicago, they all have their own lawyers, and they're all being paid for by you and me, Ben, and all the other taxpayers in their defense. So these are uh, lawyers that uh, are defending the individual police officers and are also defending, I guess, the city of Chicago. What argument do they raise uh, to counter uh, your arguments or your evidence? A lot of it is delay. Um, you know, it, you know, each case is a little bit different. A lot of the philosophy in the litigation from the defense side thus far is to sort of throw shade at clients, alleged that they committed, you know, that they're drug dealers or drug addicts or not good people. Um, so that's a lot of it, none of which is particularly relevant or admissible. None of these cases have gone to trial. But the city's argument is actually, to me, far more fascinating. Um, and we're pretty used to these individual officers. They, they deny these allegations despite courts and the state's attorney and the you know, acknowledgement of the, the convictions. 
I'm making deny that any of this misconduct occurred, but the city is fascinating. The city, for the most part's defense is, we don't necessarily deny that misconduct occurred or that Watts was a bad guy, but there was an ongoing federal investigation for eight years while this was going on. So our hands were tied. We couldn't do anything or else the federal, the feds would, um, we'd be in the way of the feds criminal investigation again for a decade. So they had to let all of these officers stay on the force, let hundreds of people, literally hundreds go to prison for crimes they didn't commit and let this criminal enterprise ongoing forever um, because our hands were tied. Uh, it doesn't really answer the question of why these officers are still on the force now. Um, like, uh, if I haven't been clear, you know, Watts obviously and one other were, were indicted and convicted by the feds, but all these others are scot-free and still getting paid taxpayers. So, uh, it's pretty fascinating that the city is taking the position that like, what can we do? We just had to let a bunch of people be wrongfully convicted. Yeah. And so I, we probably had this conversation the last time, uh, Joshua, you're on the show. This is a sort of recurring topic. Uh, on the on the show because we talk I talk a lot about crime and criminal justice and what can be done uh, to have more effective policing so that bad guys are put in or are, are, uh, apprehended and put in jail as opposed to innocent people and it, it's really hard to deal with this as a um, just in a, like a holistic way from top to bottom, if you're going to, as a candidate, proclaim the need uh, to stand up against corrupt cops like Ronald Watts and then have your city uh, fight any attempt to exonerate uh, the people who are the victims. And it, it's, I mean, it's the ultimate mixed message and my guess is that old uh, that line about the feds investigating, which is the same line that Rahm Emanuel trotted out uh, to justify not doing anything about Laquan McDonald getting shot uh, 16 times. That same line is just a, a standard refrain by the city to sort of drag things out so that ultimately you, the lawyer on the other side, or your clients get weary of fighting and you quit uh, and take less money. Uh, that would be my best possible spin from a fiduciary standpoint, but it does absolutely nothing, of course, to clean up the larger problem of the lack of trust or faith in a system that allows a crooked cop to operate. That's my sense of it. What's your response? I think there's a lot there. I mean, the first thing I'll say is you're absolutely right. I mean, Tim Fox at the press conference today says it unbelievably more eloquently than I can ever say it. She's just, I mean, I'm a, really a brilliant order to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, but she spoke super eloquently about precisely that, that the need the reason that we do this and the, and the failure to hold these police officers accountable and the reason we have to go back and, and address this legacy of wrongful convictions and corrupt cops is precisely so we can solve crime today and build 
trust in the community and um, so people can trust their law enforcement people that to come forward when there is crime and to address violent crime and like I said, I, I'm st- I'm stumbling over my words, and she can say it a lot better than 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 I can. Um, you know, I can't get in the mind of what city leaders and the fiduciary responsibility or which is. I, I just don't. Frankly, I think they're wrong. I think fiduciary, <laughs> from a fiduciary standpoint, they're just wrong. It would be a lot easier not to spend. million on outside counsel defending these cases or keep paying these guys salaries. But putting that to the side, I mean, there's right and there's wrong. There's courage and there's cowardice. And the city, over and over again, from Lightfoot to Emanuel to the superintendents to corporate counsel, just show themselves to be cowards over and over and over again. That's that's my opinion. So I urge everybody to check out the the editorial. I can't remember the guy's name. I think I mentioned it the last time we were in the show, and you, and you knew his name. Uh, lawyers know lawyers' names. And uh, so this was the corporation counsel that Lori Lightfoot first hired, and then she had to throw him under the bus, so she threw him under the bus and fired him. I uh, I forget the guy's name. He let the name What's that? Yeah, help me. Yeah, He knew it. You helped me last time. You yeah. helped this guy's name. Flesner, yeah. What? What? Flesner. Sorry, Flesner. I keep forgetting your name. And uh, one, I had a kick with this one. Like, there's like a million lawyers in the city of Chicago. But Lori Lightfoot had to go to Naperville. I think that's where the guy <laughs> lived. Uh, the best lawyers in Naperville. There's like tons of lawyers. You can't walk down the street without ever stumbling over a lawyer in the city of Chicago. No, I'm going to Naperville. Then when it was inconvenient, she threw him under the bus. I forget what she blamed him for. Got rid of him. He is mad at her, apparently. So he wrote this essay or sent a letter to the Tribune where he apparently he's just letting his freak flag fly. Uh, and he was talking about uh, Anjanette Young case. And she, of course, is uh, the we talked about her on the show. She was on the show, uh, West Side resident uh, whose home uh, was uh, invaded by police. And she, as she was stepping out of the shower, it was just an awful situation. And it should have been rectified from the get-go. But this being Chicago, our city resists, fights, stalls, delays, gives money to lawyers, etc. and so forth. Anyway, old boy Flesner was arguing in the Tribune that he felt the settlement was too much. Like... <laughs> <laughs> he would have been tougher could have gotten away with like, I don't know I think he threw like $50,000 yeah. and that's the mentality you know what I'm saying Josh I'm thinking about it this is just me speaking well if it's like a million dollars is going to get thrown out by the taxpayers I'd rather go to Anjanette Young than go to Flesner to defend the city I'm losing the money either, any, either way do you follow me this is the logic of my mind who would I rather get the money I'd rather get the money go to Anjanette Young uh, than Flesner. But that's the mentality of lawyers who go to work uh, for the city. I don't know how that helps the fight uh, against crime. Am I being too unfair to Mark Flesner, Joshua Tepfer? I mean, it's worse in this scenario because Mark Flesner works for the city. At least he's a city employee if they take these cases. In the Watts cases, they're paying five different outside law firms to defend all the different different officers involved in this case. The city gets their own lawyers. There's a, a, two, a group of two other lawyers for reasons, or two other uh, 
police officers or former police officers, one of whom was a whistleblower at one point in this case, who have their, but is a defendant in some of them. They have their own lawyers. And you got Watts has his own lawyer. And then you got Muhammad's got his own lawyer. And then all the rest of the guys who are still in the force who were Watts cronies and doing his dirty work and lying in court, they all got the same lawyer. And each of those firms has four or five people on the case. Um, you know, you should, uh, you may have heard of this guy named Matt Topic, who uh, can FOIA their uh, salaries for you. And it, it's it's through the roof. I mean, not salaries, but, you know, how much they've been paid just to defend these lawsuits, which have been ongoing since 2016. It's just it's an insane amount of money. And, you know, we're not going away. You know, maybe you can tire some lawyers out on one case or two, but we have a hundred. So, you know, these cases aren't going away. Did, uh, it, Matt Topic, of course, is the FOIA uh, lawyer. He's actually my lawyer at the moment in my FOIA <laughs> pursuit, which is, I, I won't uh, go down that road, that path. I've, or, or, I've already disturbed Joshua with that story. Uh, so I need not go further. Uh, the city of Chicago thinks it's slick, sending me a whole bunch of documents that I can't figure out how to oh, Let's confuse the baby boomer. We'll send him a bunch of documents that he can't figure out how to open. <laughs> That'll teach you. Uh, but has Matt topic FOIA, did I get you correctly, uh, for the information regarding outside law firms? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, you know, we FOIA'd it at one point, but, I mean, it's just, it's out of date the second you get the response. I mean, these guys are defending them all the time. Um, so I, I don't remember the last time, but at last I heard it was upwards of over, already over $5 million for sure. And outside counsel expenses, and I, that was a while ago. I, I don't have the first idea where it's at now. So, Joshua, uh, do you ever feel as though the whole city of Chicago does not uh, support what you do? And I, when I say this, uh, I know that many times when I raise issues like this, the the I'll get an email or a response from a listener or a reader pointing out a horrific crime and like blaming me for the crime because uh, I was raising criticism of like uh, of J- uh, Van Dyke or Ronald Watts. And so it's like, there, there you go, Ben, there you happy now. I'm like, I just, I really don't know how to respond to that uh, other than, well, thank you for reading or listening. Uh, so how do you, how do you feel the general public uh, views matters like this when when we have issues like crime, uh, crime is up. People are very um, uh, concerned and worried. Uh, it's just uh, it seems like an obvious response is that they get cold hearted about things like this. Is that your sense of it? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of wrongful conviction fatigue in this city, as like we've seen the story before. You know, I have journalists who say that to me frequently. You can't cover all of them. You know, we've heard this story before. I mean. I don't know if this directly answers your question, but I mean, to me, the way I think about it is like, you know, this is every, there's going to be mistakes in every line of work, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes just mistakes happen and, and that can be a problem. What, it, what the unforced errors is what bothers me. I mean, if you have a doctor in the medical profession who you knew was, <laughs> not really a surgeon and was performing surgery on people 
and really screwing things up and really causing harm on people. In the hospital, you'd think they would be really motivated to root that person out and be like, oh, we got to figure this out and, and, and get them out of there. You know, yeah. with the police, it's just the exact opposite. It's like the, the initial reaction, not the initial, the initial, the second, the third, and the 15th, the 20th, the 100th reaction is to just cover it up and to just, like, bury it. And, you know, I guess fiduciary, I mean, there's going to be so many more we don't even know about, but, I, you know, I guess in a fiduciary sense, maybe that's the best thing they can do, you know, to cover it up. But the idea of the loss of um, human life and, like, just the, 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 the lack of concern for actual individuals who are suffering to this is just shocking yeah all right listen joshua i want to thank you very much uh, my next guest uh, benjamin chow has joined us and it's going to be a radical change of conversation uh so keep up the good work joshua i appreciate you coming on the show and updating us uh on on your efforts all right all right thanks for having me guys all right, very good. Joshua Teffer uh, is my guest. I'm bringing on my second guest, uh, and it's a really is a, uh, uh, a change of topics, a change of conversation, and a change of locale. I'm leaving the city of Chicago and the issue of criminal justice in the city of Chicago and wrongful convictions in the city of Chicago and corrupt police in the city of Chicago and bizarre uh, legal to, uh, strategies employed by the city of Chicago, and I'm flying across the country to Houston, Texas. And I'm being joined by Benjamin Chow, who is a candidate uh, for commissioner board in Harris County. And uh, Benjamin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it. Yes. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Terry Cosgrove. I told him I would give him the, I actually did it. I told you, Benjamin, I would give him the shout out. Uh, Terry Cosgrove called me up from personal pack, frequent guest in the show, bossing me around as he always does. But this time he said, no, you got to have this kid on your show. He's so smart. Uh, he's the face, the face of progressive politics uh, in Houston, Texas. You have to have him on your show. And so I said, all right, TC, whatever you say I do. And uh, I reached out and here we are. Um, so, all right, Benjamin, before we, there's a lot I want to pick your brain about. Uh, Texas politics is something that's always on my mind because it's sort of the future of the Republican Party and where they're going uh, on issues like voting rights and abortion rights uh, and the tactics uh, of the, um, the Republican Party that they're going to employ. Uh, and yet, there's a little hope coming out of Texas. Uh, I talked about it at the outside of the show before you came on the rally uh, this uh, Saturday. I think it was in Texas by Donald Trump uh, showed some divisions in the, uh, the MAGA front uh, that uh, Gregory Abbott was booed at the rally. The governor of Texas, interesting little uh, division there going on uh, between uh, the, the real extremist in MAGA and the regular MAGA. Very bizarre to think of that. And there's also uh, lefties, progressives, liberals, whatever you want to call yourself uh, in Texas. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and talking about the race you're running for uh, and sort of why you think you can win. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ben Chow. I am a Democrat running for county commissioner in Harris County. Harris County is the largest county in Texas. It's about just a little uh, smaller than Cook County, but incorporates all of the city of Houston and a little bit of our suburbs here as well. 
just under 5 million people in Harris County. Um, we're running here in large part because um, there is a big progressive wave that is going to hit Texas. As people keep saying, Texas is going to turn blue. What they really mean by that is here in the cities, we are starting, we are really blue and we are continuing to grow. People from the rural areas are moving into the cities and that's where our strength is growing. Um, and in large part, it's similar to the state of Illinois in that, you know, the state of Illinois itself is a democratic state not because of the many rural areas, but because the city of Chicago is the beating democratic heart of the state of Illinois. Same thing as what we're trying to do here in Texas, continuing to finish the democratic takeover of our counties and our cities locally here in Texas so that we can flip this state blue. All right. Uh, and in the general sense of things, uh, even if Democrats, uh, grow in number people move into texas let's say from the bay area uh of uh, california as i've been urging them to do for a long time just go to texas folks go to houston go to austin uh change it. that's bad I've ta- there you go i just solved the problem uh the, Republic- the republicans approved very effective at gerrymandering uh the congressional districts to limit the power of the democrats putting all democrats packing them in the one district as they say uh how successful uh have the republicans been in this current uh redistricting process, uh, Ben, to uh, gerrymander uh, and reduce the power of Democrats. Yeah, so at the legislative level in our state Senate and state House, they have been extremely successful. Um, uh, I think here in Texas, we are all pretty certain that we're not going to flip the majority in the state legislature anytime soon. What we can do is flip the state as a whole, um, because that is much more likely given that the districts themselves are just so gerrymandered. Um, but again, as I mentioned, like here, I'm running for a county race uh, where Democrats are the overwhelming majority. That's where the b- biggest gains are. You know, when people move from California, Illinois, New York, all the way down to Texas, they're moving to the cities. They're not moving to the rural areas. And so that's where we're really trying to expand our majority here in this, you know, in the counties and the cities. And then as a result, really to push and challenge the majority in the states statewide. And uh, so talk a little bit about your own story. How did you end up in Texas? Is this where you're from originally? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm born and raised in the Houston, Texas area. I was in Chicago most recently, and that's how I knew Terry Cosgrove for three years um, up until 2020. I was there for at Northwestern for grad school. And so I uh, helped to also manage a race locally up in a Skokie area, Skokie and Ward 50, uh, which was a state representative race. Uh, there was an anti-choice incumbent Democrat, um, and we helped to oust him uh, by replacing him with a pro-choice woman, very progressive, and helps to, you know, um, push the Democratic line in terms of being pro-choice and uh, on every single issue from a better education and, I, I believe, on those issues where a more environmental, uh, clean energy future for Illinois. Uh, and uh, so you came back to Texas uh, and you decided to run uh, for office. And uh, what's, what's sort of like the the challenges that you face just are you people calling you a carpetbagger or people trying to challenge you as your, uh, your status in Texas? How do they fight somebody who moves back to town after, uh, being on the road for a while? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I can't, I'm from here. I'm from born and raised. I, I grew up in Houston. I lived here. I went to college here. I went to Rice University. And instead of staying in Chicago after grad school, I came back to Houston after uh, the spring of 2020, right after the pandemic hit, in large part because our elections office was being overwhelmed with this uncertainty of how we're going to run the 2020 election, the November one, um, in the midst of a pandemic. So I came back to town uh, to work as our uh, director of innovation locally. 
And then you guys may have heard about some of the voting innovations that we did here in Houston, which are things like drive-through voting, 24-hour voting, a lot of these new voting innovations where we directly challenge the governor of Texas and the legislature in large part by saying, you know, we know that the history of Texas has been one of voter suppression, targeting specific types of people, you know? Um, so what we're going to do is a complete opposite. We're going to try and make voting as accessible, as simple, as easy, and as, as efficient as possible. Uh, so we tripled the number of early voting locations alone in our county, and then we created new ways of voting, like drive-through voting. I was proud to be a part of that team. I actually led the team that directly created drive-through voting, which is the first time in the United States' history we actually had people voting in their cars in an urban environment. Uh, so, you know, those were the successes we had, only to be too successful when the Republican legislature decided to outlaw all of the work that we did. You may have saw that our state representatives, they fled the state of Texas back last summer, and our governor had to call multiple special sessions, basically waited out the state representatives because they couldn't come home as they were in D.C. So after like 30, 60 days, uh, they finally came back to Texas, and that's when the Republicans were able to jam their bill to outlaw all of the innovations we did in place. And now we're seeing the aftermath of it, where 20% uh, of vote-by-mail ballots here in Harris County have been rejected so far because of the new law that makes it more restrictive in terms of who can vote by mail, so on and so forth. And I'm sure we're going to see even more negative effects coming as the elections uh, for this upcoming primary continues on. Now, uh, let's just talk about that because you uh, there's two issues here. The first one you said uh, effectively gerrymandering uh, Democrats into uh, highly packed districts uh, dilutes their power and keeps them from taking control of the state Senate uh, and the state house uh, and from electing more Congress people uh, to send them to uh, Washington. All right. So that's but you, you, you had hopes about um, winning statewide. Well, to beat you there, this is how Republicans play the game, ladies and gentlemen. Wake up, Dems. To beat you there, uh, they uh, block any voting rights legislation to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, and then they reject. Talk about that 20% of uh, ballots requests they've been rejected. Did I get you correct? With, uh, yeah, 20% of applications to applications. vote by mail have been rejected. So they didn't even qualify to vote by mail yet because their application has been out re rejected outright. And let's be honest, most people, if your application to vote by mail gets rejected, they're probably not going to even bother trying to apply again, which is the form of voter suppression that we've always been afraid of. So who is doing the rejection? You say it's been rejected. Who is at, what's, what's the body that's rejecting these applications? Yeah, unfortunately, it's our local county elections offices because they have to follow the state law. The state law is the one that's telling them that unless the, the applicant provides all of this extra information, for example, now you have to apply uh, your social security last four digits um, and or your driver's license number. Um, but for example, the reason why many are getting rejected is when they applied for their vote by mail application years ago, it could be 40 years ago, however long you, you, know, you first registered to vote, you used your uh, driver's license way back when. If your driver's license number has changed for any reason, or when you applied to vote by mail, this time you decided to put in your four digit social security instead of your driver's license, they're gonna reject that application. And so you have to put exactly the same numbers as whenever you registered the votes way back when. Dang, man. All right. So is that also having an effect in Republican areas? Uh, I think so. I think what they're not realizing is there's, un there's our, uh, 
effects that they did not plan are going to start happening and it's going to affect them. In large part with Texas, because our vote by mail restrictions are so severe, only 65 years and older people can actually vote by mail. What that means is, you know, typically older voters tend to be a little bit more conservative, at least compared to young voters, right? And so I actually think that this is actually going to negatively hurt Republicans themselves because they didn't really think through how when you restrict vote by mail, you're actually hurting your own voters, which are more likely to actually vote by mail. <laughs> wow. Man, that's like uh, jujitsu. They try to uh, defeat you, and then they end up hurting themselves. Although my guess is they probably figured out that uh, it, it will be have a stronger impact uh, in the Houston area uh, than it will be in rural areas. I, I guess if they thought it out at all. Uh, so if you if your your application to vote by mail uh, is rejected, you're still eligible. This is an important point to show up and vote. Correct. 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 So if you're healthy enough, if you're not worried about Omicron, if you like, if your two legs work, um, if you, you know, if you feel comfortable showing up in person, absolutely. You're still able to vote. Um, just, you know, we, you have voter ID laws that are still pretty stringent here and you got to abide by every other law that we have for voting in person. And so, Ben, just important point here, uh, there's always the Republicans assert that uh, they make these changes in the law uh, to prevent against voter fraud. Was there any evidence of any kind of significant voter fraud in Texas in the 2020 presidential election? No. In fact, our attorney general has spent, he's created an entire office for voter fraud. Um, in large part, he just wants to target people or, you know, start really it's serving red meat to his primary voters as a way to continue to get elected. But it's been shown over and over again, whether it's our local newspaper, the Houston Chronicle, they've done multiple investigations, you know, Texas attorney general, he's continuously tried to find voter fraud, but he's never found it. You know, we're just wasting millions of taxpayer dollars for the attorney general to serve his own political purposes, for the governor to be able to run on his own reelection. And so at the end of the day, we're feeding egos and we're not actually doing the people justice and we're wasting taxpayer dollars. All right. And before we leave this issue of uh, uh, the voting tactics that the Republicans are employing in Texas, let's talk about the gerrymandering of the, the, the state's congressional districts. Sure. I know you've been following this one very closely. Uh, what have the Republicans done to reduce uh, the power of Democrats on this front? Oh, my goodness. So think about where all the people of color live, um, which are mostly in cities. But, you know, even in South Texas, near the Mexican border, um, they have packed us as into as many districts as they could so that we are minimizing the people of color uh, representation in all the other districts. So right now, uh, Texas is actually majority minority. Overwhelmingly, it's about 60, 40, um, almost I think it's almost two thirds to one third at some point will be soon uh, people of color to uh white folks here in the state of Texas. Um, however, I believe the statistic is that we're almost two to one Republican to Democratic um, uh, breakdown in terms of who holds what seats in the congressional delegation. Largely, in those, the Republican ones are going to be at least 55 to 60 percent white in each one of those. So it just goes to show like what they're trying to do is create congressional districts that are like 70 to 90% people of color in each one of those. And so that you have at least a 55 to 60% white population in the Republican districts to ensure that Republicans can hold those seats. Yeah. So they're maximizing uh, the white vote and minimizing the power of the black and Latino uh, vote. Is that correct? Exactly. Uh, and they're doing that because they control uh, the state house and they control the state house because they've been gerrymandering the maps. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, 
Uh, and so by this is the way they hope to perpetuate their power for 10 years, no matter how many people move from Oakland and San Francisco to Houston, correct? Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the matter is, you know, last decade, we started flipping some of those seats after a while because enough people moved in that we were able to dilute the packing that they had created. Um, and so we're hopeful that within hopefully six years, maybe eight years, um, maybe sooner, uh, we were able to flip some of the seats that they are trying to create right now. Um, but I think in the short term, we are in a position that uh, the Republicans are going to hold the large Republican delegation here in Texas. Do you know how many Democratic uh, congressmen will probably lose uh, their seats because of this gerrymandering? I believe that we are at least going to lose one or two in South Texas, um, which is near the Mexican border, in large part because they have diluted a seat there and combined it with a, uh, a more Republican area. Games Republicans play, folks. It's not legit. I'm just going to say this to everybody listening out there who talks about fair maps in the in the state of Illinois. Ben, you don't have to hear this. Fair map people, you're suckers. You're being played and taken. This is the game that's out there from state to state. You should listen to Ben Chow. What's going on in Texas? And stop talking about fair maps in the state of Illinois, where the Dems have the power. Only Dems would talk about fair maps. Is there any Republican, Ben? Be, be as fair as you can be in the state of Texas who is saying, you know, hey, uh, Governor Abbott, I don't think it's fair the way we're packing uh, all these black voters into uh, these districts and all those Latino voters in these districts to uh, undercut the power of Democrats. I really don't think it's fair. I think we should have fair maps in the state of Texas. Is there any Republican that you know of in the state of Texas who's calling for Republicans to uh, throw away the advantage they have and be fair? Not to my knowledge, and I've been paying attention to Texas politics for a while now. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. All right. The fact of the matter is with congressional redistricting, right, it's, it's a national game here, where at the end of the day, if we don't have the majority in Congress, it's because the Republicans in the southern states and across the country have redistricted in such a terrible manner that if we don't in a Democratic Party and other states where we do hold majorities, you know, we're guaranteed to lose the House. And if you think right now we're not getting enough done with President Biden and a Democratic Congress, then good luck hoping for things happening when we don't even have a Democratic Congress. All right. Um, so let's talk about uh, two issues that are uh, that are on my mind these days. Uh uh, reproductive rights, abortion, uh, and how that plays out politically. And then later on, don't let me let you get off th- without talking about the uh, potential split in the Republican in the MAGA forces. So let's start with the politics of abortion. Uh, we talk about this on this show all the time, Illinois, as you know, from having uh, been here for three years, worked at Personal PAC, or worked with Terry at Personal PAC, and worked in the, the district to defeat uh, Representative Kalish. You know, uh, that Illinois is perhaps the bluest, and I put that as, uh, you know, as a defining thing, uh, state in one of the most uh, bluest states in the country regarding abortion. Texas, on the other hand, is one of the reddest. Uh, so you've gone from one extreme to the other uh, in your very young life, Ben Chow. And uh, so talk about the Texas law. We've, we've addressed this issue many times in the show. Why don't you give folks a little sense of the law Uh, the restrictive abortion law that the state of Texas passed. Yeah, it's the worst imagination that you could possibly have. If you are pregnant after six weeks of conception, you can no longer seek an abortion, even if you had 
Yeah, if you're pregnant because it is due to rape or incest. So those do not matter. You cannot seek an abortion. If you do, you will be fined. Someone, anybody can sue you for $10,000 if you actually did seek an abortion after six weeks. Um, they can also sue anyone who assisted you to getting abortion after six weeks. And so what may, basically means is that abortion has been outlawed in the state of Texas for anybody after six weeks of conception. You'll not have to go to Louisiana or, God forbid, Oklahoma. And who knew that Oklahoma would be a more liberal position than the state of Texas for anything? Um, so right now we are in a bad position because a lot of abortion clinics are actually being forced to close down. So Planned Parenthoods have closed down and other providers are starting to close because there's just not ability to actually perform the medical necessary uh, procedures. And how is that playing out politically? Is your sense of it that uh, the, the Republicans have gone uh, too far and are going to lose uh, uh, swing voters or independent voters? Or is it worse and they've just forced the conversation so far right that swing voters are just going to go along with this? I think swing voters are angry. I think swing voters are very angry in the sense that they have they, they don't like the provisions, especially about rape or incest. Um, I think people understand that six weeks is pretty ridiculous because many people do not even realize they're pregnant by the time it's six weeks of conception. And also, thirdly, I would say it's the fact that, um, you know, how, how is it that we are so far backwards compared to Louisiana and Oklahoma. I think that is also a sort a source of shame for us here in Texas. We've always viewed ourselves as one of more cosmopolitan, more um, evolved states in the South. Um, yet here we are just, you know, literally lingering in the back of the 1950s, you know, that kind of era. And so for us, I think the swing voters are angry. Um, I think here locally in Texas, though, what we have not been talking about as much, unfortunately, is... Um, how we can bring ourselves forward. And so here in county government and local government, we have an examples of cities and counties actually finding ways to fund opportunities to create access to abortion because we can't fund abortions themselves directly. It's a matter of how do we partner with Planned Parenthoods and other nonprofit providers that are assisting people to have lodging and travel to Louisiana or Oklahoma Childcare. How do we as a county provide the information out there to people to know that they can apply for funding so that if they need to seek an abortion, there is funding that's available for them and also resources if they needed to seek an abortion out of state. You know, uh, to the point about uh, the state imposing its will on people uh, all throughout the country. This is a battle going on in terms of uh, blue states or blue governors that do mandates here in Illinois. Uh, mandates regarding masks and vaccines are being challenged by a consortium of uh, MAGA uh, activists and uh, their attorneys. Uh, and it's called uh, it's an insurrection. They view it as against the overreach of government. So are we seeing anything resembling that uh, from the other side in Texas where here you got a Republican governor? Just listen to this, Liberty lovers in MAGA in Illinois. I'm just telling you, you say you love liberty so much. So here you have uh, a, a Republican governor in the state of Texas with his cronies in the state house doing state mandates that prohibit people in Houston from doing what they want to do. Maybe the people in Houston want to have an abortion clinic. Maybe they want reproductive rights uh, for their citizens. Uh, don't they have liberties uh, or is it only MAGA that gets liberties? So my question to you, Ben, is are we seeing any kind of reaction statewide against Abbott uh, and the uh, Republicans in there because they're imposing statewide mandates that take away people's liberties? 
Oh, absolutely. On uh, whether it's on abortion, you know, like people see it. That's this is controlling, you know, a woman's future. It's not just you know, whether they're pregnant. It's their economic future. Whether or not they, you know, can seek a job or they can do other work. Um, it's also not just related to abortions. It's also related to a lot of book bannings that are currently happening. Governor Abbott just released a a basic proclamation stating that he wants a parental bill of rights that in the state of Texas, which means that there are only certain books that can exist in libraries in school. Under currently, there are school districts right now here in Texas, and especially here in Houston, that are currently banning um, certain types of books. It just happened to be about you know people of color, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ content, and in, in school libraries. Um, it's very interesting how those are the ones that are being banned. You know, not other topics about fascism or you know about what happened with you know far right conversational topics. But it's always about you know diversity and other people that have historically been marginalized communities. Um, and so these are things that I think people here in Texas are starting to very much see. It's you talk about being you know freedom and libertarianism for the people, but that's actually the opposite of what is actually here in Texas. They want to be free in their own way, but not for the general public. Absolutely. If you criticize any MAGA person about anything, they start crying about cancel culture. I mean, they start sobbing about cancel culture, you know? And, and then they're weird. Like anybody who gets any criticism, the, they, like Dave Chappelle gets criticized for his uh, last few Netflix shows. All of a sudden they're supporting Dave Chappelle. <laughs> they're all supporting David Chappelle, his First Amendment protected free expression right. But then they want to ban books in libraries? Where's MAGA talking about cancel culture? By the way, is there anybody on the left in Texas who accuses uh, Governor Abbott of canceling the culture of, I don't know, a child's ability to read a whatever book uh, he or she wants to read in a library? Is that going on down in Texas, Ben? I mean, it's gotten so bad where there are school districts that have banned Internet website research. So, for example, if you want to learn about the human rights campaign because you're doing a school project on the history of marriage equality, that has been banned in certain school districts because it has a filter called alternate lifestyles filter here in the state of Texas. So. You have uh, websites like the Trevor Project, which is a youth suicide prevention lifeline. Uh, That hotline has been banned from a school district here locally in the Houston area, in large part because, you know, it's part of the cancel culture where they want to impose their way of life on all of us here in Texas. And I think folks here are are sick and tired of it. So, Ben, I got to ask you this question. I've just heard you talk about the horrific voting uh, rights laws uh, that the Republicans have put through. I've heard you uh, talk about the horrific abortion laws, uh, restrictions that uh, the Republicans have put through. And now I'm listening uh, to you recite about all these horrific uh, book bannings and cancel culture policies uh, adopted by the Republicans in complete defiance of what their base supposedly wants, free and open exchange of ideas. Uh, so why do you stay in Texas why aren't you? Why did you get the heck out of Texas? Because I believe that we can always fix what is wrong. You know, I believe that if we all leave Texas, if we leave, if we let the haters dictate where we can live and what we can, you know, what rights that we have, if if we let them dictate for us, they tell us what we can do with our bodies and our lives, then we've given up, right? I think here in Texas, there's always going to be a resistance. We are here. We're proud. We're a large number of us. There's millions of us here in Texas and Houston alone, and we got to keep pushing. And we got to keep fighting because at the end of the day, 
we're not going to let Governor Abbott continue to tell us what we're going to do with our, our lives. Uh, we're going to stand up. We're hopefully going to elect Beto as our governor this upcoming year. And hopefully we'll also flip this seat that I'm running in in Harris County for County Commissioner Precinct 4 in Western Harris County so that we can solidify a Democratic majority here in Harris County and Houston. All right. Very good. And uh, before we close it down, let me ask you uh, about the, the splits uh, in uh, the Republican Party. And I don't know how gigantic they are, uh, but it is interesting that uh, Trump gave that speech uh, in uh, Texas at one of his rallies. And it's not quite having the effect uh, that his rallies have had in the past. Uh, and there's divisions in the ranks. They're booing uh, Abbott. There's like the really the maggiest magas are saying Abbott's not MAGA enough. Uh, and, uh, and even Donald Trump doesn't know what to do with the vaccines. He wants on one hand, he wants credit for quote unquote, having invented them or created them. And on the other hand, anytime he says that he gets booed by MAGA that they don't believe in vaccines. They don't even believe uh, that COVID is real. So he doesn't know what to do. And uh, he's created this monster. and He's not quite sure if he controls it. Uh, what's your sense about the state of MAGA in the state of Texas? I mean, Governor Abbott has two Republican primary challengers that are even crazier than he is. They are going off on the far, far right. You have billboards and, you know, those trucks that have light-up signs that go through the town. They have those kind of ads all over the state of Texas. And let me tell you, Governor Abbott is scared in large part because he knows that a lot of his primary base is going even further and further to the right. And as a result, that's largely why we've seen all of this voter suppression and abortion laws that are coming into effect because he's afraid. And I think that we are having, we are seeing a split within the Republican party right now between the regular MAGAs that we've always known and the ultra crazy MAGAs that are even crazier than Trump himself. So I think we are seeing that split and um, it's kind of fun watching it from the democratic side, but also a little bit worrisome because these are people in our everyday day-to-day society lives. And, you know, we got to work with these folks at a certain point, um, especially as they're being elected to lower level offices like county government, county government and state legislature. All right. Now, I'm going to read you a quote from The New York Times today of a, from a voter in Texas uh, and get your response. This is a Texan voter who's a uh, big fan of Trump. And this is what she said. Uh, she showed up to the Trump rally her six days in advance, sleep in her truck to be among the first in line. She said she believed Mr. Trump was, quote, sent by God to save this country. Still, she disagrees with him on the vaccine. Quote, I don't think he should be promoting it at all, she said. I've had COVID and I've had the flu and the flu is much worse, end of quote. Um, I'm going to deal with the first part of that quote. Get your response. Uh, Trump was sent by God to save this country. I'll say this about MAGA. They have much enthusiasm for their candidates, <laughs> put it mildly. To think Donald Trump, man, Donald Trump was sent, he he was sent by himself to fleece you, MAGA. Uh, sorry, that's my opinion. But do you sense right. any comparable enthusiasm on the part of Democrats about their candidates. I don't want them to I don't want them to worship their candidates. I don't want maybe you want them to worship Ben Chow, but I'm I, I don't want them to worship and think that you were sent by God, but do you sense it, that as like a similar amount of enthusiasm for Democratic candidates as opposed to being terrified of MAGA? Go ahead. 
Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I don't think we've seen this deification of Democratic candidates for for a long, long time. I mean, we saw with Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama, we saw like a lot of support, right? But I think folks saw them as agents of change, not so much as a deification as like, you know, God's representation on earth. That is that is crazy, nut wing stuff. That reminds me of my childhood when I had friends here who would say, you know, their parents would tell them that they couldn't read Harry Potter books because Harry Potter was a representation of devil worship or some kind of crazy stuff this is mind-boggling stuff that's kind of worrisome um this uh ultimately may lead to some kind of theocracy or type of um oligarchy in this country and so you know i think we got to continue to push back we can't deify our political leaders we got to remember that all of our humans are you know our people people are humans politicians are not god you know representations of God here um and the moment that we do deify them it, it, it endangers our democracy well put. Well put indeed. All right, Ben, uh, before you leave, folks want to learn more about you. Folks want to contribute to your campaign. If folks just want to reach out in any way, uh, your old friends here in Chicago, uh, in the state of Illinois, how can they find you? Yes, please go online to my website at benchowtx.com. That's B-E-N-C-H-O-U-T-X.com. My guess is TX stands for Texas. Absolutely. <laughs> Texas born and proud. Born and proud in Texas. He's going back to Texas. He's taking my advice. That's what I said all, all last year. I said, well, this doesn't really apply to you, but I was telling hipsters in the Bay Area, go to Texas, go to Austin, man. You can be a hipster in Austin. You sure can. You can be a hipster in Houston. Come to Houston. We love hipsters. We love all kinds of people here. Hipsters, old, young snowbirds, come all on. All right. Very good, Ben Chow. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it. All right. All right. You take care, too. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. All right, very good. Two Bens on the show today. The host, Ben Jarofsky, and the guest, Ben Chow, from Houston, Texas, like Archie Bell and the Drells. Uh, that's a baby boomer reference that I'm not sure anybody in Texas will get who isn't uh, hmm, who isn't over 60 years old. So I want to thank Ben Chow uh, for coming on the show today. I want to thank Joshua Tepper, my earlier guest from the uh, Exoneration uh, Project. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Ben Chow and Archie Bell and the Drells will tell you, Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. That's not correct.